the Way City Church, located in Woodbridge, Virginia, is led by Pastor Marlon Yearwood and exists to reach the lost and disciple the believer. My name is Mark Campbell, and it is an honor to be here with you guys again this morning, worshiping and, uh, and opening the Word of God. I want to just read our scripture first. Go to Matthew. We're going to be in the book of Matthew, chapter 1. All right. And we're going to be in verses 18 through 25. It says this. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit and her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame resolved to divorce her quietly but as he considered these things behold an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying Joseph son of David Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, what a glorious scripture we just read. And Lord, I just thank you that you and your grace and mercy have revealed yourself to us through your word. And so God, as we discuss this passage today. I pray for hearts and minds and ears to be open. I pray that, Lord, we would uh, just ponder deeply today who you are and what you have done for us, and that you will stir within us a passion and a zeal for your name and your glory And that, Lord, we would just be a people that overflow with love as we receive it from you. Just be a people that overflow with love to those around us and be a testimony to your glory. So, God, just I pray right now, Lord, that you would uh, use me to share faithfully these truths contained in this text. We just praise you for this time and we give you all the glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, the, the first ministry position I ever had was a, as a youth pastor at Harrisonburg Baptist Church. I also got brought on to launch a contemporary worship service at that church, which was 138 years old, had only ever sung from the, the hymnals and the organ, and so it was quite the experience. And, uh, you know, I'm getting started. I'm green as they come. I'm spending my days, you know, playing with my worship band and then in evenings with the youth group, eating pizza and playing dodgeball, right? Like that, that was kind of the extent of my life at that point. 
And the first year I was there, they actually had brought on a brand new pastor as well. The previous pastor had been there for 20 years, and he retired. And so they were bringing in a new pastor. And um, there was just a tremendous amount of excitement surrounding this, this pastor. And so in the first year, we're coming up on the Christmas Eve service. Uh, there was just this, this buzz within the congregation. They were like, we have the new, I think it's a small town phenomenon or something. They, like they, they literally were, were just thrilled with excitement and inviting all their friends and family and people from out of town. You've got to come to our Christmas Eve service. Well, our new pastor is here. And so and the, the choir had been practicing for weeks. It was, it was a big deal. I got my suit dry cleaned, which I never actually wore, you know, so that day they gave me a nominal role in the service. They're like, we don't want you to screw anything up. And, and so that afternoon at 4 p.m., I received a phone call from my pastor, my, the lead pastor, the senior pastor. And he said, he said, you're up to bat. He's like, I am sick as a dog. There is no way I can come. He's like, I'm pulling you out, you know, you're in the bullpen. I'm pulling you out of the bullpen. And, and I'm sitting on the phone, and I was like, uh, it's 4 o'clock. <laughs> the service is in, like, three hours. What? You've got to be kidding me. And, uh, and so, uh, needless to say, I was shocked and surprised, and I had literally about two hours before I could could head over to the church. And uh, needless to say, it was not what I expected, right? But in the truest sense, that's what Christmas is about. It's about the unexpected. Nothing about Christmas is the way that we would expect it. In fact, people had been expecting and anticipating the coming of Messiah for centuries. Prophets had spoken of it and foretold of the coming of this Savior. Word of the coming of the Messiah was shared from generation to generations. There was foreshadowing in the Old Testament, and there was this promise that salvation was going to come from God. But when the Messiah came, when Jesus came, none of it happened the way that we would have expected. No, no one of us, not one of us would have written the story this way. And that's what I love about Christmas is that what we get from God is not what we expect and certainly not what we deserve. Christmas is a divine display of the unexpected character and nature of God. In other words, in the Christmas story, God is revealing himself to us. He wants you to know him. And in the arrival and the advent of Jesus, we see clearly what the God of the universe is like and what he is about because one thing we can be sure of, Christmas was not an accident. It, it wasn't thrown together at the last minute. It wasn't God's plan B. God didn't procrastinate. He's not like us running out to Target on Christmas Eve to pick up wrapping paper and presents, right? I, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not ashamed that that's me, but I know that that happens from time to time. <laughs> The angelic hosts weren't scurrying around trying to pull it all together. The Christmas story is not held together by duct tape, right? It, it, it had been planned. It had been on the books since the beginning of time. God had this plan. 
And what we're going to see today in this passage is that Joseph's life is going to take an unexpected turn as well. It's not what he had planned. And in that, we're going to see the beauty of God's character put on display. And Joseph's life is going to change forever. And really at the, at the core of the gospel message, that is the reality, right? We meet Jesus and everything changes. Everything changes. When your soul encounters the truth of the gospel, when your life collides with the person of Jesus, everything changes. We're never the same. So I want to ask you this morning, is everything different for you? Has Jesus changed you? Changed what you value? Changed the decisions you make? How you see your life? How you see the world? How you see your job and your neighbors? Has he changed you? We're going to see Joseph's life is about to be flipped upside down. And so let's get into this. It's in the book of Matthew, like I said, in chapter 1. And... um, We have just previously, we have the genealogy of Jesus laid out in Matthew chapter 1. And uh, that in and of itself is a a glorious text that we don't have time for. But the characters that are involved in the lineage of Jesus, needless to say, it's a broken family tree. There's some some, uh, shady characters, and in that we see the beauty of how God redeems and uses us even when we are are broken, fallen people. Um, that, it, it deserves its own sermon. But in addition to that, God is revealing His faithfulness in Jesus and the fulfillment of promises made to King David and to Abraham. And so the first part of Matthew in the genealogy, we see the human origin of Jesus. But in this passage that we're talking about today, we're seeing the divine origin of Jesus. This was no ordinary birth. It was a supernatural birth. And this story really has three main parts in verses 18 to 25. An awkward situation, an angelic visitation, and a Christmas incarnation. So it's going to be those three, right? An awkward situation, an angelic visitation, and a Christmas incarnation. So let's talk about this awkward situation. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Jesus, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her Quietly. Okay, so Mary had been betrothed to Jesus. And in that day and age, a bride would be betrothed to a groom, and it would be a firm commitment. And that would usually last about a year before marriage. And during that time, the girl would remain with her family. But really, in a lot of ways, it was like the first step of marriage. It was that the betrothal, there was a firm commitment and, and uh, engagements frequently occurred in those days when girls were about 12 years old, and the bride would stay with her parents for a year or two until, until she finally came under the authority of her husband. So Joseph and Mary were engaged, publicly and legally committed to one another, basically married, but just not fully consummated yet. And so, um, for instance, an, an engaged woman could be punished as an adulteress 
whereas the punishment for a woman who wasn't engaged was, diff it was a different kind of punishment. And, and so this is a very serious situation. Do we, do we recognize that? This was a very serious situation. They didn't take engagement a lot of times like we do, where we break them off in our day and age, and it's not necessarily the biggest deal. In this day and age, it was a big deal. And the text says before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And Matthew doesn't really give any other details. He just says she's with the child, and it was by the Holy Spirit. And, and Joseph, you see, is referred to her as the husband of Mary, not the biological father of Jesus. But Joseph is put in an unbelievably awkward situation. It's really hard to overestimate how awkward of a situation this was, this life-changing situation. It's an unprecedented situation. I mean, imagine finding this out. Imagine the conversations that we're, that we're having. He knows the public would be less apt to believe him if he even believed the story himself. He knows people will think, ah, Joseph jumped the gun. Sure, Joseph, your, your fiancé's pregnant by God. Couldn't you come up with a better story than that? I mean, Mary, she always seemed like such a good girl. I never would have guessed Mary would do this. And, and I think it would literally take an act of God to convince someone of what Mary was claiming. And in this, we actually see Joseph. He was a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, if we stop and slow down and ponder this story for a minute, we, re we see here Joseph was an incredible guy. He really was. Um, this is the type of guy every father wants to come to your house and say, I'm waiting for the day for me. I have a 15-year-old daughter. One day, Lord willing, there will be a man that walks into my house and says, I love your daughter and I want to marry her. And Joseph's the kind of guy that I hope my daughter finds. right? Because what we see here, um, what we see here, he's just and and he's devout. He's a man who obeys the laws of Moses. And, and in this, um, he basically had mercy on her. Right? I mean, all Joseph knows is his fiance is pregnant. And he's not the father. That's what he knows. I mean, I just can't imagine. I was thinking about that this week. Just the heartbreak Joseph would have been experiencing. I mean, just, I mean... How gut-wrenching must have this been for Joseph? How embarrassing. And yet in Joseph's acts, we see even a foreshadowing of the character of Jesus in this. He's covering over her shame. He's unwilling to publicly, which he could have by law and by right, he could have publicly shamed her for being pregnant outside of wedlock. He could have legally and justly made a public spectacle of Mary. As you can imagine, many men would probably want to do in this sort of situation, driven by anger and bitterness. But Joseph, being a, a tremendously godly man, is unwilling to do this. And so I just wanted us to pause and really think about that and not gloss over how difficult it would have been, and yet he covers her shame. And isn't that exactly what Jesus does for us? On the cross, he takes our shame upon himself. 
and he bears the condemnation that was justly upon us. I hope my daughter finds a good Joseph-type man. I'll tell you what. Okay, an angelic visitation, secondly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she'll bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Okay, so Joseph is visited by this angel, and there's five kind of important details in this statement that the, that the angel says to Joseph. He says, first, it's God's will that you marry Mary. Go ahead, move on forward. Joseph's wondering what to do. Do I marry her or not? Do I divorce her quietly or publicly? And God makes clear, Joseph, you need to marry this woman. Don't fear to take her as your wife. And uh, there's something more going on here, Joseph, that's bigger than you, that's bigger than, than Mary. And it makes sense that the only way Joseph would actually believe this would be an angel visiting him and giving him the message because uh, it, it, would have been, it would have been very difficult to believe otherwise. God opens his eyes to the reality and he sees things clearly now. In fact, he's thinking, Mary is what I thought she was. She, she is the woman I thought she was. It's amazing. I would imagine he would have had tremendous joy in that. The second important fact from the angel, Mary's pregnancy is supernatural. It's miraculous. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. See, in the Christmas story, Jesus is the main character, but the Holy Spirit is the operational power of Christmas. And I wish I had more time to talk about the Holy Spirit, but we're going to keep moving. Third, your baby will be a boy, a male. Now, this is before ultrasounds, so this would have been pretty cool, right? No one in that day and age knew what they were going to have, and they got to know. So that, that's kind of cool. It's going to be a boy. Pretty cool insight. Fourth, the name of your baby boy will, will be Jesus. And then fifth, in connection with his name, your baby boy will be a savior, and he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is a derivative from the Hebrew name Joshua, Yeshua. God is salvation. God saves. Your baby boy is going to be a savior. It's, this is quite a kid, not your average birth. That's the point, and that's a whole lot to take in. This is life-changing for Joseph. Think about this. You're about to marry a woman who is publicly seen as unfaithful. The rest of your life, you are going to live with the accusations and naysayers of others. You're choosing to build your marriage on some hard-to-believe circumstances to outsiders. And we know Joseph and Mary were convinced of, of, of the truth of their story, but how convinced would their parents be? How convinced would their aunts and uncles and friends and brothers and sisters? Yeah, yeah, Mary, from the Holy Spirit, right, right. So don't underestimate how difficult this would have been for them. And only an angelic visitation, I think, would persuade Joseph in this. But their lives were changed. They were changed forever. 
just says our lives are changed as we encounter Jesus. Mary is giving birth to Jesus. Joseph is taking on the responsibility of being Jesus' father. And their lives were forever changed. Logan, our theologian Sinclair Ferguson says this, up to this point, Christ had changed nothing in Joseph's life. From now on, Christ would change everything. I wonder if everything has been changed by Christ for you. You see, when you open the door of your heart to Jesus in simple faith and trust, it can be terrifying. It can be scary, this idea of surrender and, and trusting him. But the message of the angel is fear not. Move ahead. Receive him. Open your lives and your families to him. And this really begs the question for you and I. Will we trust the word of God? Will we trust in the Word of God, or are we going to trust in our own instincts, our feelings? Are we going to trust in God's Word? Both my uh, brothers are fighter pilots, and and so uh, when we do holidays, they always have plenty of stories to share, and they always like to try to try to you know one up one another on why their plane is better than the other's plane. They fly two different planes. And, uh, and, and, and like typical fighter pilots, they like to talk about themselves, right? And, and, uh, but every once in a while, they'll actually say, hey, talk to us about what you do, Mark, right? And so I was talking to my little brother about Scripture and how it should affect the trajectory of our thinking and our attitudes. Essentially what I was saying, that, that if I feel something different than what the Word of God is saying is true, we, we have to have faith in the Word of God and not go with our feelings. Regardless of what I feel, my feelings don't dictate reality God's word does, God, right? And, and so I'm saying this to my little brother, and he goes, spatial disorientation. I was like, what? He said, vertigo. And, and, and he says, I'm like, of course you're bringing it back to your stuff. Okay, all right. But no, here's the thing. He says, when you're flying in a plane, and you enter into clouds, and you can't see the ground, he said you will experience what's known as vertigo, where he says you literally feel, he said everything in your body feels like you're pulling left or you're going down and, or going up. Like he says you feel it down in your body and you have to literally stop, check your gauges, and if your hand is, is kind of pulling over, he's like sometimes you grab your other hand and bring it back. And, and he says you have to go back to your gauges. And that's, that's what's true for us, guys. We have to go back to the Word of God. If we feel differently than what God's Word says, we have to go back to the Word of God. And I think Joseph and Mary both illustrate for us what simple trust in God's Word is all about. They didn't rely on their instincts. They relied on the Word they had received from God. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Joseph is portrayed as a man who knew the law, but practiced grace. Joseph, or Mary, um, Joseph was, was obedient, and so was Mary. They believed in the Lord in spite of the harrowing circumstances that they knew were ahead for them. They didn't go with their instincts. They went with the word of the Lord. So what is it for you today in your life? 
that you're feeling one way, but you know the Word of God is calling you another direction. Perhaps you know you should forgive somebody, but you don't feel like it. Perhaps you're being tempted to sin, and you feel like you want to go down that road, but you know the Word of God says you should go a different way. Or maybe you don't feel like you are a son or a daughter of the Heavenly Father. You don't feel loved, but you have faith in Jesus. The Scriptures are clear. You've been adopted into the family of God. You don't feel like you are, are, uh, have right standing with God, but you have faith in Jesus, and, and it is clear God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Become the righteousness of God. That's the truth. Our feelings don't dictate reality. God's word does. And we got to come back to our gauges, have simple faith, just like Mary and Joseph demonstrated. All right. Number three, a Christmas incarnation. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. All right, notice Matthew's comment here that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament. In other words, this isn't the beginning of a new sect or a new religion. This is the fulfillment of God's promises to the Jews. This is why the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, he says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Right? We see Matthew 1.1, that Jesus is the son of David, the son of Abraham. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises that God has made to his people for generations. Because see, in the beginning, Adam and Eve dwelt with God, right? Going all the way back to the beginning, Adam and Eve dwelt with God, but they sinned and relationship with God was fractured, so they no longer had the manifest presence of God with them. But years later, we see God graciously gives plans for the tabernacle, right? And then God's presence returns in a modified sense and location. And then we see then there's the temple, a more permanent location where God's presence dwells. And then Jesus comes to earth. Jesus comes to earth and he dwells among his people. This is why John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Greek word dwell literally means tabernacles among his people. And, and then we see at the end of human history, in Revelation, we see the redeemed in heaven with God dwelling with God. And Revelation declares, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. So the, the Christmas incarnation is a foretaste of heaven. 
a progressive stage in the history of redemption with God, where God, this theme that runs throughout the scriptures, this theme that, that God dwells with his people. So why is the virgin birth or the virgin conception, depending on how you want to say it, why is it so important? See, there's a sense in which this story tests us and, and really is a, it tests our biblical fidelity. Do we believe in a supernatural God or not? Do we believe in a, super, a God who's capable of doing miracles? A God who can raise the dead, make the lame walk, make the blind see? Is this fabrication or is this reality? The virgin conception or birth is miraculous. And that's Matthew's point. This isn't a normal birth. That's the point. Uh, there's a story of C.S. Lewis. A friend, a non-believing friend, comes into his office. You know, he was an English professor. And, uh, and, and his friend comes in, and as they're talking, there's a group of carolers outside who are singing a Christmas carol. And, and um, they mention the virgin birth in this song. And the man, the unbelieving friend, says to C.S. Lewis, he says, isn't it good that we know better than they did? And C.S. Lewis said, well, what do you mean? He says, well, isn't it good that we know more than, than they did previously? And he says, I'm afraid you're going to have to explain. And C.S. Uh, this, the man said, well, isn't it good that now we know that virgins don't have babies? And C.S. Lewis looked at him incredulously and said, don't you think they knew that? He said, that's the whole point. The whole point of the passage is that it is a miraculous act of God. That's the point. So let's, let's just pause and step back from this story for a minute and ponder this, the, Chris, the reality of Christmas. God in the flesh. God in the flesh. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail thine incarnate deity. Pleased with us in flesh to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. The Christmas story reminds us that we worship a Savior who is familiar with our struggles and our sufferings. He's not far off. He draws near to us. He draws near to us. In fact, that's, that's what Emmanuel means. Emmanuel, with us. El, God, the with us God. That's what the, the name means. Literally means he is with us. And the message of Christmas is that our God draws near so much so that he joined in our suffering and in our humanity. God not only cares about our suffering, but he allows and sends his son to be born into it and to live in the midst of our suffering to bring about redemption. God doesn't just care about our suffering and pain. He enters it. He experiences it. He knows it. He knows it. Starting with the incarnation, where the scriptures say there was no room in the inn, and you've got Mary and Joseph, Galilean teenager peasants, who ended up that night probably in what amounted to a cave where shepherds would have huddled when rain or bad weather came in. 
And I think we've just got to throw out this idea of a nice, tidy, clean, nativity set scene. We've got to throw that out, right? I mean, think about it. A flock of sheep huddled in a space together. What does that look like? What does that smell like? Right? There was nothing tidy about it. It would have been dirty. It would have been smelly. It would have been cold. And into this place, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is born into the world and swaddled and wrapped in cloths, which I think is an amazing scene to even think about, the creator of the world allowing his arms to be held down by mere cloth. And then placed in a pottery barn crib with fresh linens that Mary got at her baby shower. No. No. A feeding trough for animals. A feeding. I mean, I know my wife, and I'm sure it's the same for you guys with little ones, right? You're not laying your newborn infant in a trough. You're just not going to do it. Probably the closest thing we would have would be like our dog kennel or something. But even, even that, you know, I mean, it doesn't do justice to how dirty and filthy these conditions would have been. And this is where Jesus spends the first moments of his life. See, the Christmas story, it's revealing to us what God is like and that he subjected himself to the suffering of the world from the very beginning. It wasn't just, it didn't, his suffering didn't start at the cross. His suffering started at the very moment he was born. I mean, is this what we would expect from a, from a Messiah? Is this the creator, the sovereign of the universe coming from the throne room, from glory to grime, from opulent praise to obscurity, highly exalted to lowly and humble. And what I want to do to this morning is really challenge us this Christmas season to allow the basic truth of Christmas to absolutely stun us. It should stun us. Like, what? The eternal son of the living God born into these conditions? A baby? The sovereign of the universe coming into this world as a baby? That boggles my mind. Why? Babies are so fragile. Babies are are dependent beings. They're so needy. I mean, I remember when my daughter, my first child, was born. She was born in 2005. and, And on the first day of her life, we're in the hospital... And it just so happened that there was a Carolina basketball game and the Super Bowl on the same day. I was like, this is amazing, right? I'm sitting there with my new newborn daughter watching my favorite basketball team and watching the Super Bowl. I was like, does life get any better than that? And I'm, I'm stroking her head and I'm feeling her head and I was like, whoa, 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 whoa what's going on? She, she, I was like, there's something wrong with her nurse. And she's like, no, there's nothing wrong with her. Babies have a soft spot in the middle, right, of their, of their head. And I was like, I never knew that. But it just revealed to me that much more how, how fragile babies are. And I remember leaving the hospital and thinking, they're just letting us leave with this kid? Like, 
I don't I need like some sort of certification or something like like I, you're literally letting me leave with this child and they're like yes it's your child you are responsible and so onward we went home and and I just I just remember you know I mean I had to learn all the things that you have to support a baby's head when you pick them up you know I, I changed my first diaper right I mean all the things and and it just was unbelievable to me how fragile this little person was and how dependent they were how needy they were so it is stunning that the eternal Son of God would would come into this world as a fragile, dependent, needy being. I mean, really think about it. Really think about it. Our creator God, who's all-powerful, omnipotent, he speaks, let there be light, and it is. Takes the form of a helpless babe, unable to speak. The only sound he can make are the cries of a newborn baby. Our creator who is omnipresent, he's everywhere, is now limited by time and space and by feet as a baby that he can't even use because one day our God would learn to walk. Our creator God who is omniscient, his knowledge compared to all the knowledge on the internet makes the internet look like a Dr. Seuss book or something. What he knows, he limits himself to the knowledge of a baby. And the scripture says in some mysterious way, he grows in wisdom and stature and favor. Putting on humanity. Man, may we know him. May we know him. Like truly know this this Savior of ours. Ponder him in this Christmas season. The message of Christmas is that the Word became flesh. God is revealing himself to you this morning. And I I pray as you walk through difficult times that you would know he's with you. He's there. He's there. I remember I had a friend um, going through a very difficult time. And I, I said to this friend, I said, do you know that God loves you? And he looked at me, he's like, yeah, yeah I know. I, like, I, can, I cognitively can assent. I, my theology isn't messed up. But I, I said to him, I said, yeah, but do, you, do you know that? Like, do you feel it deep down in your heart? That God loves you. And he said, that's not where I'm at right now. And it was just this moment where we just said, okay, let's stop, let's pray that God would give you. Your heart would align with your theology, right? That your theology and your heart would be together. And, and that's my hope for us is that we would know deep down, God is with you. He's here, he's near, he has drawn near to you. Because this season, while many find joy in this season, for a lot of people, Christmas can be actually a very, very difficult season. Many of us are excited to be with family friends, but many of us are, are aware of our withoutness in Christmas, right? Someone we lost, a loved one we lost, a relationship that's broken, a lost job, 
Maybe you just moved here and you have no friends at all and these realities can just seem to be multiplied. You just feel deeply your withoutness. And, and I'm here to tell you the message of Christmas is he's with you. The with us God, Emmanuel. And he involved himself in our world, our misery, our pain, and it testifies to God's care in ways that my theology can't contain and my heart can't deny. So my prayer for us this morning is that we would just be stunned and that we truly would know his with us, withness with us. <laughs> and I want to read a poem to you as we kind of close up here. It says this, This God in the manger uproots all our notions. A heavenly stooping, divine demotion. Born in a stable, wriggling on straw, fully committed to life in the raw. Santa gives things, then goes away. Jesus shows up to befriend and to stay. Santa rewards those with good behavior. Jesus comes near to the broken as Savior. If you don't like God, I think I know why. You probably think he's Saint Nick in the sky. You're right to reject that faraway stranger. This Christmas, look down to the God in the manger. So maybe we look down to the God in the manger. Um, just to close it out. So I ran across the street to the church and picked up a commentary when I was preaching. Remember my first story? I ran home, and, and truly, it was this moment where I, you know, you, you experience your deep need for the Lord. I was like, God, I need you right now to show up and help me prepare this sermon because there's just no way I can figure this out in two hours. And, and he's so faithful. He's just so faithful. He showed up. It, it, it was one of the easiest sermons I ever wrote. I mean, it literally just came. And that night, that night, the, the best part of the night was when I got to walk into the choir room and the choir, which was like, you know, 50 people, they're all in their robes and the whole Baptist deal. And, uh, and, I, and I said to them, I said, hey, Jack's not coming tonight. And their faces were like, and I said, don't worry, though, I'm here to preach. <laughs> and they looked at me like, oh, no, what is going to happen? And, and literally that night, I never had seen and never did see afterward more people in that church. It was packed. Like 500 people showed up. And, and I, I got up and I delivered my sermon. And, uh, and, and by God's grace, he, he provided. Um, and so he's, he's there for us, guys. We just have to turn to him. He's there. So let me pray for us that that would be our reality and that this Christmas we would truly experience the witness of God and, and his love that he has drawn near to you. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you know how our hearts can be so distracted, so many things going on, difficulties, health problems, relational problems, job and career problems. Or maybe we're just busy. And in the midst of all of that, God, may we not miss you. May we not 
experience your witness with us in this Christmas season. Lord, remind our hearts. I pray not just today. I pray tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, every morning, Lord, we would wake up and we would say, God, you have drawn near to me. You gave your life on the cross for me. I praise your name. My Savior, who came as a baby, it's just unbelievable. Lord, you know our suffering. You know our pain because you entered into it. You experienced it. You walked it so that you would be able to empathize with us in our difficulties. You're not far off and away. You know deep down you were betrayed. You experienced uh, hatred towards you, Lord. You experienced pain and suffering. And so, Lord, I, I just praise you that that's who you are. That you enter into our suffering. And you're here. You're with us. So God, do a mighty work in our souls. Stir us up for you. We love you. We praise your name. And Lord, we just ask that you would take this morning and and use it for your glory and encourage us, build us up. May we go from this place knowing that wherever we go, your spirit dwells within us and you are here, you are with us. Tell us to go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all I have commanded you, but lo, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Lord, make that, may our theology and our reality align. The things we know cognitively, may they be our experience in our heart. And if they're not, I pray, Lord, you would bring alignment there. Encourage us. May the Way City Church be a place where we remind each other of the truth of the Word of God. Encourage one another with the truth of the Word of God. As we are discouraged, we would be encouraged by a brother or sister. Lord, as we are experiencing pain and suffering, Lord, we weep with those who weep. And we're there for each other. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this time. We give you the glory and we pray this in your name. Amen. We'd love to hear from you. Visit us at thewaycitychurch.org.